Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations, the data science podcast. This is episode 13, uh, and I'm Roger Peng from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker, who has a special announcement to make. Uh, yeah, yeah. So last time I announced that uh, I had uh, finished my time at Etsy, um, and so I'm happy to announce that I am joining the data science team at Stitch Fix, uh, which is a, um, it's like a service for having clothes and accessories uh, styled for you and delivered to you. Um, and so, and it's out in San Francisco. So I'm currently planning a cross country move. Uh, it's a big move. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big move. <laughs> are you going to drive or are you going to, I'm going to fly. But you don't have a car, right? No, I don't have a car. Yeah. Like nobody in New York has a car. <laughs> I did consider like the U-Haul across the country because I'm from Indiana. So I was thinking about stopping at home, but no, I, that was ruled out in about, minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i second that um, yeah yeah um, no i just bought my one-way plane ticket uh with a pet fee <laughs> <laughs> so my cat's gonna have to tolerate a six-hour flight yeah it'll be okay. well um yeah so i i think um i'm actually i'm fascinated by these kind of algorithmic clothing companies is kind of how i think of them <laughs> yeah yeah definitely because um, um i've actually so i've never used stitch fix because it's at least up until now, it's primarily for women, right? Yeah, they have a um, beta for men. I see. Service, okay. so you should. Yeah, but I've used, uh, like, a competitor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's interesting, because it's, like, it's um, I, I, it's hard for me to, it's hard from my side, you know, the consumer side, to see how the data is used. Mm -hmm. um, uh, from iteration to iteration. Like so usually the idea is, I don't, and you maybe even the entrance of the, the practical thing, aspects, like, you, you usually get, you get shipped, like, a bunch of clothes, and then you have to choose which ones you like. Mm -hmm. uh, and you keep the ones you like, and you send back the ones you don't like. Roughly speaking, that's kind of how all of these work. I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. so, and the idea is that the ones you send back, you know, that's feedback to them. Well, obviously, the ones you keep is feedback too, and then they can kind of adjust in some way. Generally speaking, what they send you next, right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I, I think, think with, it was with Stitch Fix, you kind of do. I'm a, I was like a, a customer uh, before joining, and so they okay. like at, at least for like women and kind of you know the. 20s 30s 40s demographic like we use like pinterest a lot and so mm -hmm. stitch fix will like you you fill out a profile ahead of time and they'll also use your pin like if you if you tell them like oh this is my pinterest clothes board they'll look at that also um and so oh, okay. yeah so there's some things that are kind of i wouldn't say they're unique to that demographic but and and again stitch fix isn't like targeting that demographic uh exclusively but yeah. it's true that it started for women um and so it's like they are able to use some of that information also in terms of like kind of your first shipment, but yeah, it's like, yeah. and then they solicit a lot of feedback. Like if you send something back, you can say like, Oh, this, you know, this isn't quite my style. And then they can use that going forward. Yeah. And they have like a, there's like a person that you can interact with, right? Yeah. So you get a, you like the idea is that the, you essentially the way the workflow from their end works is that there's sort of an algorithmically defined generated set of options and those options are put in front of a personal stylist. Um, and that person is like reading your feedback and like looking through these algorithmically generated recommendations and choosing things from there. And so then they like, they also include like a little note that says like, oh, I thought you would like this based on this from your Pinterest board or, you know, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's sort of like a, a like special mix, if you will, of like yeah. algorithm and then personalization, like, like human personalization. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, was that your? What, the, what was your question? <laughs> I can't remember now. No, no I didn't have a question. No, <laughs> yeah. I just. Uh, 
But one of the things actually I thought of recently, which I think is kind of like an interesting, uh, in some sense, data science problem is that, you know, like, um, so like I, you know, for like, so when I did do this, you know, they, they send me a box of clothes and then like, you know, maybe like a month or two later, they'll send me another one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like the problem with the kind of understanding how the feedback gets used is that like, you know, if you get a box like in March or something, Mm -hmm. and then you get another box in like, you know, let's say June or something like there's like this kind of seasonal confounding, right? Cause like, you're not going to get the same clothes in June that you get in March, right? Like it's a different season, right? So yeah, you, you get different clothes. And so it's, I don't know, it's like, I feel like if you get boxes there, if you get shipments, they're kind of like sp- spaced apart. Um, then there'll be the seasonal confounding that like you have to kind of account for in terms of, I guess, I mean, I don't have to account for it, but the company has to account for. Yeah. Um, yeah like in you terms don't of spend winter clothes in like the middle of the summer. <laughs> yeah. So, but from the consumer perspective, it's kind of hard to know because like you don't know if it's like, oh, are you getting something you like because I just like summer clothes better? Or am I getting something that I like because they used my feedback from the last one, you know, and they've improved or something, you know? That's a really so, good point. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, it's not really a question. It's just something I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. I am certain, like, because, so Stitch Fix has a huge team. There's, I think the current tally is like 65 data scientists. Wow. And so there's people thinking about, because it's really like a Oh, I'm 100% sure they're thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> they're thinking about it. I'll learn yeah. more once I start. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just... no, it's like, it's it's a good point though. I mean, and there's other, like, there's a, there's a ton of other factors too. Um, And so, yeah. you know, and I think it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's like a super, I'm excited to think about this problem, you know? Um, no, I think it's a, I think it's super, it's a fascinating problem. I think. Yeah. And like yeah. clothes are so much a part of your identity. I think that's like, a, that's going to be like an interesting, an interesting thing to see kind of from the other side, you know, like yeah. my interaction with clothes so far aside, you know, I'd have to see there were sellers who were selling clothes. And so I definitely, definitely saw it a little bit but you know so far my interaction with clothing has just been as a consumer so yeah <laughs> it'll yeah. be interesting to see kind of like how the problems change and you know yeah how people think about it from that side so yeah yeah that's that's awesome well i'm, I'm really happy for you and, thank uh, you yeah, yeah I'm, I'm super excited and some other things of note like the company has um they have a chief algorithms officer uh uh-huh. so someone at the c-level who's like in charge of their algorithms team i think like data science team is algorithms team um that's how they like brand it i guess and so uh and so it's it's interesting to think about working in a company with someone at the c level who's like advocating for data science work yeah yeah i feel like that's gonna it's be a, really it's progressive yeah it's definitely i'm not sure i'm sure that there are other companies that do this but i i definitely haven't seen it very often um yeah and this is like again, this is someone separate from like the CFO, um, so like chief right. financial officer. So yeah, yeah. Um, also, I guess it's, it's worth mentioning that that they have a, a great blog actually. Um, yeah, yeah. It's called yeah. multi-threaded. Oh, was, oh yeah. Okay, I didn't even <laughs> notice that. That's a great yeah. It's yeah. a great title. Um, but they actually like it's like it's not one of these blogs where like they publish something like once a month, you know, once a, every three months or something like that. Like they actually, there's a lot of content. Actually. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, so. and it's good stuff. I'm glad to hear that you like it because yeah, it's I was super impressed by that. That was definitely uh, yeah. Now I feel like a lot of companies have these blogs where like the entries are are basically kind of like modified press releases, you know? Yeah. And I feel like the Stitch Fix blog, like they actually get into details and they talk, you know, they talk about things that like you want to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, it's, I recommend it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, all right. So um, that's good news. And uh, so I, a couple of things to kind of follow up from. First of all, uh, thanks again to all our uh, Patreon patrons. I think we're up to 
uh, when I last checked, it was in the order of 60 some. Yeah, thank you. Um, so thanks again. Um, we, um, for those of you who signed up at the sticker level, um, we have made tremendous progress <laughs> in that domain. And, uh, and we're looking forward to getting them to you very soon. Um, yeah. Is that you say that's right? Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. So, so, uh, so bear with us and uh, they will be coming. Yeah. Um, and then um, I just, I uh, want this sort of random thing from the last episode. I, I sometimes look at the stats on our kind of on our downloads the last episode and I learned a new city in South Africa. <laughs> so it seems to be something in South Africa that comes wow. up that, that interests me. But it was yeah. like for like a week, it was like number, you know, seven or six or seven in terms of the uh, rankings of like, you know, where the, who listened. Yeah. And, and awesome. it was, and it, it looks like it's called Pot Chef Stroom. It's like look like pot and then chef and then like broom, but with S T R instead, you know, stroom. Wow. So, Wait, is it three different I, words or is it No, one, it's one, one word, word as far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So but anyway, so if anyone from South Africa who listens can tell me how to pronounce that word. <laughs> like send me a little recording of how that word is pronounced, like I would really appreciate it. It looks like an interesting city. Um Okay. Uh, awesome. <laughs> sorry, that was random. <laughs> Um, and then, so we then, uh, we got some feedback, uh, which I think is wanted to kind of highlight, uh, mm -hmm. from some of our listeners. And so the first email comes from Sherry and, um, and she, uh, picked up on our discussion of SAS last time where we both said that we had never, never used SAS <laughs> basically. Uh, and she said, well, you know, the couple of examples where it's really helpful to know a little SAS or Stata for that matter. Um, and so it might still be useful to kind of pick this up at some point. The first example is proprietary data that can't be brought in-house. So uh, mm -hmm. for example, a lot of like health information or protected health information, often people who provide those data, they don't let you take it with them. You, you can't just like take it to your institution. So you have to either go to their place and, and analyze the data there, or you have to send them code and they will run the code for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, a really good point. Yeah, and a lot, of, and so, so some places they only accept SAS code, right? So yeah. you, you kind of don't have a choice. Um, that actually reminds me in grad school, uh, Jeff Leak had to, he was doing a genomics analysis on people in Iceland and he had to like fly to Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause they don't let the data out. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like during that volcano. <laughs> oh yeah. They're like, they're like basically grounded all of Europe. Think, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> but he was coming from the other side. So it was like, right. okay. But yeah, it was like, it was like this, I remember him sending an email that was like, I have to do an emergency data analysis in Iceland. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, is this a thing that happens? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So like a lot of data that the, like the government, the U S government has like, you know, like in, in Haynes or uh, in the census or whatever, like a lot of that is personally identifiable. And mm -hmm. so if you want to look at it, you have to go to like a government center and use their computers and they, they read all your output and they make sure, you know, you haven't. You know, disclose anything before you walk out of there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so you kind of have to play by their rules, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay. So that's one. And the other example she said is a uh, uh, large, uh, some of the large uh, clinical and claims health record databases um, are just like, they are just kind of default to SAS format. And it's just easier to kind of manipulate them at the kind of early stage in that using SAS mm -hmm. um, and then kind of read them into R later. And I think that's, that sounds reasonable too to me. At least that's been, I've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. We also um, actually on that topic, we also got um, a tweet from Otis Anderson, who's at uh, Clover Health, 
And he was saying that the um, he said CMS, which is like Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Yeah. He's like they require us to submit bids in Excel. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure yeah. I'm sure that's one of many examples of of people being required to use certain formats for certain companies. There's, I, yeah. Like I understand why the company wants or like whatever organization wants to have streamlined reporting because it's like less overhead for them than to understand everything coming in. Right. Um, but yeah, so he was like, yeah, so we do everything in Python and then I have to like put it into Excel sheet right at the end. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm sure that's a workflow <laughs> that's familiar to many data scientists. Yeah. I try yeah. the least, the least uh, harmful <laughs> workflow, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. given the constraints, this is, you know, the best we can do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, you know, this, this email got me thinking, I had this kind of like, I wouldn't say it was a dream, but it just kind of like a thought that came to my mind about after our discussion of SAS last time it was like you know have you heard have you followed this like F apple fbi thing uh not um, not super closely so, so just yeah. very quickly on that like basically there's some iphone that the fbi tried to get into but they couldn't get into it because apple has their ios has all these like security features and the fbi wanted apple to kind of create like a, a new os that they could install on the phone that would kind of circumvent the security features right and <laughs> apple didn't want to do it yeah um and they went there in court and now it's resolved. So it's kind of over, but anyway. Wasn't it resolved? Cause like, they're like, oh, we got it. Like we got yeah, it. Yeah. The they figured out a way to get into yeah. it without their help. So, <laughs> right. um, but it was got me thinking like, I had this vision of like, you know, what if the FBI came to your door, right? Oh. And, they're, and they're like, you know, it's chaos out there. We need like, you know, the, the president needs like launch codes for the nuclear weapons and, but they're on this computer and they're in the SAS file. Can you just like learn SAS and like open the file for us? <laughs> would, would you do it or would you, or would you, would you hold out? You know? I, like, I would be so concerned about the state of the world if that scenario were playing out. <laughs> I mean like the, the, like the future yeah, of the planet depended on, yeah. depended on your, your knowledge of yeah, SAS. Yeah, like if they got to me, like after <laughs> exhausting all of the people at the NSA, <laughs> and like <laughs> any of the other, many other more appropriate people, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, it's, mean, it's too late. It's very like, yeah, I would, I would obviously. You would, you would break the barrier and learn SAS. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that is right, one just... scenario. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> if if chaos is reigning, then SAS and SAS is the only option. Then we'll do it. Focus on problem solving, really. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then there's a, there's one more email, uh, this is from Heather and she, uh, it's a bit of a long email, so I'll just, just summarize it. Um, but she works in kind of a, um, kind of academic type of setting. Um, and she does experiments on, uh, she does her own experiments, collects her own data, analyzes it, et cetera. Um, and, um, and, but she works with other people who are kind of data analysts. Um, and she noted that there's a contrast between kind of people who do their own experiments, collect their own data and analyze it. And people who are on the kind of the data analyst group who don't collect their data, like people just kind of give them the data mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, they work with it and they kind of give back the results. Um, and she felt like that was, it's, it seemed like that way of working was very difficult because like you didn't collect the data, you don't feel any ownership of the data. So how can you kind of uh, do, do the analysis well? Mm -hmm. um, and um and so she thought that, that like that was a weird way of working, and uh, I know. And so, and, and so I, I thought I'd be like this, but that's kind of off. That's how a lot of people work, actually, in terms of being data analysts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I can see how like someone who does experiments, who collects, their, who does their own, you know, does, does their own data collection, 
would feel weird about, you know, not doing it yourself, maybe, you know, not doing the whole thing yourself. Right? Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Um, but I think it, it's it's one of these things that it's hard to, um, it, you know, it's hard to know what's the best setup in terms of like, do you have a, do you, if there's like a data analyst that you work with very closely, who works only for you, or maybe you are the data analyst. So, so this is kind of like this kind of unified model, or if you can separate out the data analysis from, you know, the collection and design of the data, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, I think it can work both ways. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's funny because, um, I mean, we were talking about how Stitch Fix actually has a recent blog post on this, <laughs> just in terms of the, in like an industry setting where data collection is really, you know, kind of like the like ETL process of like pulling the data from the website and then somehow like eventually getting that into a database of some sort. And so... Um, and I think their philosophy, which I tend to agree with, is like allowing people to have more full stack ownership of a project. And so it's like you can like no one who is trained in kind of like statistics or data science is necessarily going to learn that process. But if they're interested in the deliverable and they know that needs to happen, they could partner with someone from like a data engineering team who could help them like do that efficiently. Like they could learn how to do it or they could like, hopefully someone from the data engineering team might've created tools that make it easier for them. But I think this idea that like wanting to own it from, from data collection all the way to the analysis is, I think that's a good idea. I don't think that means you have to be the only person working on the project though, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's, if you don't, that, that can only work in limited situations, right? Yeah. And so, like, I think in terms of, like, there's a way of, it's kind of the, what's that called? Like, conveyor belt or, like, the like your the idea that you would just, like, pass off the data and there would not be a, necessarily a relationship or much communication there. I think that's, A, really common and, B, pretty flawed because it's it's just not, it's so, it's not fun for either person, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you, as an analyst, you're not going to know like the intricacies of the data and you're not going to know what assumptions to look for. And so you might try an analytical approach and then learn that it was like totally inappropriate. Right. Um, and then from the data engineer side, that's like just gunning work to be constantly creating data and not seeing like the fun part, like the analysis take shape. Um, and so, so I do think that's kind of a flawed model. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it only works if the, if the analysis in some way is just like, it's purely a commodity, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I, it's hard for me to think even of an example of this, um, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, if I did, if I need to add these two numbers together, then I'll like, I'll give it to someone and they can just add them together. Right. Like that is like a pretty clean separation, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's not what data analysis is. Right. Like, I, like it's. I feel it's like often... this is exactly what you said. I feel like it's the slippery slope of data science where it's like, oh, well, just like in this case, it will be simple because like it, it just never yeah. actually is. Like I bet if yeah. you actually thought through it, there wouldn't be an example where it's like, oh, this is so straightforward. But yeah. everyone focuses on that part of the problem and they're like, oh, well, let's just build something for this simple case when everything's working perfectly. Yeah. You know, and like, we're going to spend months like creating a front end, like analytical tool for this, but then it doesn't like the simple case never actually happens. Yeah. No, I, I struggled to come up with an example. Yeah. yeah. And there's, and, and if you, if you allow people to think that is possible, there will always be pressure to try to get it to the simple thing. 
instead of letting analysis like be appropriate to the use case. Oh yeah, exactly. But we'll try to fit it into whatever box that, you know, that is simple. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I I think like the the classic example in my, you know, line of work is the power calculation, right? It's like, yeah, people, most people think it's just like, you just like run some function and you get some power calculation out. And, and often like nine, 99 times out of a hundred, it's like, first you have to have a whole discussion about like what the science is and what's appropriate for study design and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's never just about running that function, you know? Yep. Um, and I think, um, but, you know, interestingly, like in an academic settings, often they, they'll have these things called cores, uh, which sometimes are laboratory based. So like these cores will run laboratory tests and then you, so you send them the sample, they run the test and they send it back to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the cores are what you would call like data analysis cores. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they are, and the, but, and the analogy is supposed to be kind of the same, right. Uh, which is unfortunate, right. The yeah. idea being like, you know, someone can engage with the person at the core and like give them the data, they can analyze it and send it back. Right. Yeah. And, um, and the, and the NIH is kind of really big on these kinds of things just because it, they save money, right. It's cheaper to have like a centralized core yeah. for our data analysts than to have like every scientist have like their own data analyst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it can, depending on how things run and depending on how scientists think, like it could be like a very flawed model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it can, you know, it's, it's difficult because I think if you have the approach, if you're, if you have the thinking, the mentality that like, I'm just going to send them the data, they're going to send me back the results. Yeah. Um, you know, that may work, but it only by chance. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, and that, and you know, that model is especially susceptible to if one person starts like if one, let's say there's the core, right. And everyone's sending data and it's like this contentious relationship of like, Oh, well, you know, I can't do this analysis until you give me more information and it feels like high friction. And then let's say a different core swoops in and is like, yeah, we can answer those questions. Like, like, right. Here's the, here's the simple answer. And like, I didn't think it like the, in, in that situation, like the least analytical person will rise to the top. <laughs> well, no, it's a, it's yeah. a race to the bottom, right? Yeah. It's a race to the bottom. Exactly. Right? Like it, it, yeah. and, and that does happen for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I do think though that the, the core, like, I feel like I prefer data science teams that are somehow centralized and then like go out to, to vary like whoever they're supporting yeah. versus being embedded. Yeah. Uh, but there's just way there's ways to do that without it being like oh submit requests and then an analysis will come back like it can be centralized but you're still developing relationships with the team and having like a two way conversation um, yeah. yeah yeah and I think that's it's hard like the, it's hard but if you and it's but it's essential and those are good skills like people who function on a team like that will get the skill of they'll get support for how to interact with their teams. And so right. that'll be like a job skill that they can then take to their next job. And, you know, so it's, I think it's yeah. like a good, I mean, yeah, it's hard though. And that model, it, it like, it necessitates like conflict between the analysts and the teams sometimes, or like not conflict, but just like different priorities. And so then there's like healthy tension there for, you know, like the analyst putting pressure on the correct thing happening versus like the team putting pressure on like moving forward with the projects. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that, and then that's hard to negotiate and that needs to be like explicitly trained for, for the analysts or data scientists. If that, yeah. I don't know if I'm yeah. making sense, but. <laughs> no, I think maybe another way to say it is that I feel like, you know, the, the, the analyst side 
you know, the, the focus is really on the process mm-hmm. uh, of like making sure that the, the analysis is done well and that the data are collected, you know, the data are kind of appropriate and, and they match the question that you're trying to answer and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's less focus on the answer, I think, mm-hmm. uh, from the analyst point of view, but I think uh, from the, I'll just call them the client or whoever, you know, wants the analysis done. Yeah. They want, they're looking for specific answers often. Yeah. Um, and they, um, and, and they're not focused on the process, right? So there's a bit of like a, a sep- a difference of kind of, uh, priorities there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in um, a, in like a good way, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying that everyone should be, yeah, no, exactly. But if you don't, if, if people don't kind of recognize that the importance of both, I guess, mm-hmm. um, then it, it could be a tough relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you need like a high level person, like a chief algorithms officer, like going in and being like, you know, like this is, you have to trust these people and like establishing trust and emphasizing to like those team leads, the importance of it. So that there's kind of like a unified message on both sides that this is an important relationship. Yeah. And can I just say that that's the advantage of working at a company? Yeah. Uh, Because you have, because in (laughs) academia, that person does not exist. Nope. <laughs> simply, simply does not. Right. Yeah. And so like, if you, the, the person who kind of resolves the conflict, like doesn't exist. So like yeah. often you'll just, <laughs> no, so, I mean, it's horrible. It's, it's, yeah. it's tough. Because <laughs> like in academia, it's like everyone's a CEO. Right. So, yeah. um, it's just, it's hard to resolve those kinds of issues. Um, no, it's funny because I had, there was an interesting, I had an interesting exchange with a few folks on Twitter kind of about, about these ideas generally, like, what's the role of a manager and it it all was actually stemming from this idea that academics like quote unquote aren't professional which i thought i had i'd read this article it was kind of like saying that academics oh they don't reply to emails timely or you know they don't say like thank you enough or like various other okay. kind of like chiding <laughs> chiding i comments. didn't see this article we're, we're... <laughs> it was in the chronicle of higher education blog oh, okay yeah it's worth it's worth reading but i my takeaway was kind of like okay this is like very much not the blameless postmortem. Like, I mean, I feel like academics act that way because they get away with it. And so then they do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and it doesn't affect their tenure and it doesn't affect their career trajectory. And so, like, why would you do extra work? Like, um, right. but then it kind of, then we also discussed sort of the role of managers. And I was like adamantly like, yeah, if you have someone, you know, essentially like running interference or, you know, making sure that everyone is, like someone who's helping you with that relationship, to me, that's just like so valuable. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's someone who was, I, someone in that conversation was a consultant, and so uh-huh. I think for him, it was like that was work he was just been doing on his own for so long that he was kind of like, well, everyone should be able to do this, and it's like, yeah, because <laughs> you're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, not everyone's a you know consultant, so. I think in in academia, if you're like a, if you're like a junior person, sometimes like in good places, there'll be like senior people there to kind of like protect you from certain things mm-hmm. or sort of certain kind of t- relationship problems. But but that senior even that senior person doesn't really have any authority over yeah a, per, a person in another department. Yeah, you know? the departments are like um, little islands. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's challenging. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think um, I think uh, I, I worry that it will get worse in academia just because. Um, I just I think you know data are becoming more complicated and the analyses are becoming more complicated and there's really more like the, the lone scientist who kind of like collects and analyzes the data all by themselves like this is not really a thing anymore yeah right? um, and so this kind of relationship is going to become more and more necessary 
and um and it's just gonna be uh, you know i think there'll be more mm-hmm. <laughs> problematic relationships probably yeah <laughs> a lot of oh yeah. yeah it's no and then and then no one gets trained on it you know like people yeah. don't get trained to and I mean, that was one of my reactions to this article being like, people aren't professional. I was like, well, you know, I would have loved like one class on like professionalism in grad school or so, you know what I mean? Like there's not really yeah. any emphasis yeah. on that or like maintaining good relationships. Those are all things. And I think it's partially because the people who are good at it don't realize that they're good at it. <laughs> and so they yeah. don't think about it. And then the people who aren't good at it, like, it, like it's really easy for academics to kind of get into this, like, oh, well, I'm a, you know, like this isn't of my concern and so there's just not really like much emphasis there's not a culture of like sitting down right. and talking about it and so yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think there was a time long ago perhaps that where you you would just go to your office and do your work and and then go home right i mean yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, exactly so um you know maybe it wasn't quite a priority at the time but i think it's just not as like that yeah anymore. well i have to say that was one of the things i really liked when i made the switch was just having Having someone who I could, you know, if I was having a problematic collaboration or, you know, if I if I needed support, like if I if I realized that the data I was getting weren't correct, like I could just go to like my manager and be like, hey, like I'm having this problem with the team. And then she goes to that person's manager. And then, you know, it's just there's yeah. like people I can make problems go away really fast <laughs> just by yeah. sounding the appropriate alarms. You know, I mean, that obviously right. doesn't always work. And. Like I would definitely, I was also at the same time being trained by my managers like at Etsy to, to, you know, like this is how to best interact with the team, et cetera. But it was just like layers and layers of support for that, those relationships that yeah. I otherwise like had never had before. So, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that was, that was an interesting question. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we answered it, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a good discussion. <laughs> um all right so um i think that's it do you have anything else to follow up on i don't think that's it all right um so i think one of the things that i want to talk about is uh the latest actually it was a big like two weeks for for data science right yeah <laughs> um so the latest uh development is uh, is feather right so do you want to talk about that yeah yeah i can talk i can again I, my disclaimer is that i <laughs> i besides i don't necessarily know like the nitty-gritty details of this but um the idea is that Feather is a file format for data frames that can be shared between Python and R. Um, and so this is something that other, like right now, sort of the like, quote unquote, optimal workflow would be like, if you wanted to pass data, let's say I was collaborating with another person on my team and they were a Python person, I'm an R person. If I want to hand them a data set, I would usually like write it to a CSV, give them the CSV, and then they would like, you know, upload it themselves. And that's like a very lossy transaction because uh, you have like a data frame is more than just like a matrix, right? Like there's like the column types and like various other attributes to the data that are encoded in the data frame. And so being able to just like pass that entire thing over is like a huge win. Um, and then furthermore, I, and this is like where <laughs> my knowledge starts to fall apart, but it's like very fast. Like this is, it's like basically operating as fast as you could for uploading data. Um, and so that's like cool too. I personally, to me, that's not as huge of a like selling point as it is just being able to pass like an object intact from one to the other. Um, the speed you mean? Yeah. Was, but I, yeah. I mean, but I think the speed it's, the speed is like a, a, 
it's like a feature of the fact that you're not like re-serializing and encoding and then decrypting or decrypting the decoding or you know you're not like transforming something you're just literally passing it and then uploading it um i don't know if you have like like, I would love to hear you explain that. <laughs> that was my knowledge of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I have one funny story about this. So I, I didn't read about, I didn't see the announcement. It was like at, until about like seven o'clock, seven or seven thirty at night. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I was like kind of busy putting my son to bed, and you, and uh, and I had like fifty percent of me was kind of like, okay, you can read your own stories. I gotta do. I gotta go to this GitHub repository. <laughs> Turn on the audiobook. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, no, I should probably be a good father. <laughs> and, and like wait an hour. <laughs> I feel like part, like ninety percent of being a parent is just like convincing yourself that whatever choice you make is like the choice of being a good father, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's just it's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, so my introduction to Feather was delayed by a whole hour. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but and the other funny story I had is like I was like you know I went to the Git repository, Git, Git repository, and. Uh, I started digging immediately just started kind of like digging through the code and I getting lost in like whatever C plus plus. And I was like, hold on a second. It's possible that maybe they just like wrote something down in plain English that explains all this right? <laughs> before I get like neck deep in C plus plus. Yeah. And, uh, and like, lo and behold, there yeah. was a document, like yeah. a marked out document. that's like, here's how the format works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were more plain. You don't have to start with like the deep down internals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, I was, uh, I'm fascinated. I, I was very excited when I first saw the announcement, and I think um, the other thing that's, I think, that's worth noting is that, you know, for, so for example, I won't comment on the Python side because I don't, I don't use Python, mm-hmm. uh, but on the R side, you know, there's, <laughs> there's only two functions, right? There's like read and there's write. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I think the key thing to, I think, and I, I haven't talked to either, uh, you know, Hadley or Wes about this, but my understanding of just from reading the code and from the issues that they filed in the GitHub repository. Is that you know there's more to come you know mm-hmm. and i think um this is really you know feather is really kind of a uh a kind of a foundation to build on mm-hmm. and and in terms of and i think it's a it's a great you know so python and r yeah they're big but obviously there's lots of other uh languages that uh, that you'll need to interoperate interoperate with yeah i think so <laughs> okay um like i think they just added a, some julia binding so i think um mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot to come, I think, and I think it's hard to judge it at this early stage. Um, but uh, but what's there is really cool, I think. So I think yeah. I, my understanding, basically, I think the, the first really interesting thing to point out is that they focus on data frames, right? I mean, yeah. I think they're like, you know, that is a key data structure. Yeah. Um, and so let's just like have something dedicated to that. So that already alone, I think, is, a, is an interesting choice and, a, and, a, and an important one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it, basically they recognize that bas- everyone's using CSV files, right? That like even if like if you can get into a CSV format, like that's usually uh, that's usually that usually works. I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there may be other all kinds of like exotic formats that are maybe like ten percent more appropriate, like CSV really does a great job of doing of kind of getting the job done. Mm-hmm. But like you said, there's all this kind of metadata that gets, that gets lost. You know? Yeah, and like so uh, much, I think it's like one of those instances where good software has made people not realize that csvs like aren't that efficient like so there's so many people who've done so much work in parsing csvs which i like as a user i had no idea you know it was it's this whole discussion was so interesting because people who are like applied statisticians or data scientists 
and like working very much on the analysis side, we're kind of like CSVs are great. Like why, you know, like I am so happy if I get my collaborators to give me data in a CSV rather than like an Excel sheet with like highlighted boxes and like, you know, merged cells and blah, blah, blah. Um, like kind of like our discussion from with Jenny from before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then people who are like database engineers were like, who thinks that CSVs are the best? Right. <laughs> they're yeah. like, you're crazy. Like, why, yeah. would, that, why would that be the best? Um, yeah. I feel like there were key details that I left out in my initial synopsis, which was one, you mentioned their names, but this was a collaboration between Wes McKinney, who created Pandas, and then Hadley Wickham, who's like, yeah. you know, does all of the Hadley stuff in R. Um, and so, so that was like in itself pretty noteworthy. Uh, that yeah, these people are collaborating. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great, it's a yeah, it's a great collaboration. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. And then um, another thing is that this is all built. Feather is like one one of the applications from this larger project called Apache Arrow, uh, which is all again. This my understanding of this is limited. But it's like serialization, like like yeah. a uniform serialization method for like tons of different things so like parquet or like etc <laughs> i definitely yeah. did well, I think, to the website for that one <laughs> but well i think um yeah. yeah yeah we'll put that in the links for sure yeah. but i think my understanding i mean I, one thing that's worth noting is that if you look into the r package uh you know for feather there's almost no code there i mean there's really like there's like two r functions for like reading and writing mm -hmm. that and the, all those r functions do is call another function right the c plus <laughs> function and if you, and I was like, okay, I'll just look at the C plus plus code. In the C plus plus code, there's very, <laughs> there's really not much code there, uh -huh. um, because, uh, and that's not, I'm like, I'm not like criticizing anyway. It's just because like they really built on this this framework, Apache Arrow, mm -hmm. um, that has defined has all this functionality built in mm -hmm. uh, for for writing out data in certain formats. Mm -hmm. um, and so they they just used it. You know, I mean, obviously it was there, use it, right? So mm -hmm. I think a lot of the, so the code in the R package you know, it's really just linking into that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think, so I used to just to back up a little bit. So, seri uh, you know, so serialization basically is, you know, how do you take, so you imagine something a little bit more complicated, like or like a list, you know, so a list, and you know, it could be nested, nested, it could be very complicated. Um, and so the idea is how do you take that and convert it into a sequence of bytes, basically. Mm -hmm. um, that, and often you need to do that so that you can transfer it to something else, to another computer, like over the network or something like that. Um, and, the, and the network protocol can only just take like a sequence of bytes, right? Mm -hmm. And so and so that's serialization and, uh, and there's no one way to do it, right? There's many ways you could do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and so this format basically, uh, so the Apache Arrow kind of defines a way to serialize things like integers, uh, floating point numbers, mm -hmm. uh, character variables, things like that, uh, in a in a data frame structure, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so I mean I think so one thing that I, I pointed out when I wrote the blog post about it is that R has a serialization format, right? It's it's, it's usually called the the, works, the the R workspace format. Mm -hmm. So if you do like save image or save or whatever, mm -hmm. um, the binary format that gets spit out is a you know it's, it's a binary format and it serializes whatever thing mm -hmm. you've got in R. And, and that, you know, is fine, but of course it's built for all the data types that R has. Yeah. Right? It's not just optimized for data frames. Um, so um, anyway, so, so I, and also of course, nobody, no other software understands that format, even though yeah. it is an open format, but no other software, you know, reads it. So yeah. uh, it's not particularly useful for interoperability between languages. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, so I think, you know, building on Apache Arrow was really strategic because that's something that everyone's already agreed is like a format that we, that, you know, that we'll kind of hook into. Oh yeah. Right. So then, so that once you have it, you know, then you, then you get all this interoperability basically for free. Yeah, and I think and that was like the explicit goal of Arrow was this yeah, this idea that things like this, this is just one of many things like that could come from this project of like everyone getting a room and agreeing <laughs> on a serialization like method or uh, like like yeah. standard, I guess. I, I'm not sure what the right word is there, but like everyone getting in the room and agreeing. And if you look at the number of uh, committers on the project, I mean, it's it's like a ton, a ton. Yeah, of it's, it's a huge amount of work. It's a huge, huge amount of work, work. and it's a huge collaboration. And so it's like the idea is that this will, the, like these things are going to start happening like really fast. And so it's super exciting. I think it's awesome. Uh, and yeah. like, I mean, even just the Python R case is, I just was like, this is perfect. Like I, two of my like closer collaborators at Etsy were both more like use both R and Python, but we're definitely like more of Python people. And so we ended up just not working together that much or, you know, kind of like working, <laughs> like yeah. we would like talk about ideas, but it, this idea that we could like pass off a, like, you know, a data frame, like, Oh, Hey, I took this data and I've like, done some analysis and here's some results and now I'm going to pass it to you. And like, you might take that and go further with it. Like that, the idea that this would open up that is yeah. really exciting. Um, yeah. And it's a shame that you can't work together because it's, <laughs> because I, of different languages. Yeah. Right? And I, and yeah. I just think that, I mean, I think the bigger issue is that there's not, not that many people who like really like this is maybe care isn't the right word, but I don't think that there's a lot of people who are really thinking about that workflow when they do tool, tool development. I think it's like very few people who are thinking about that. And so the tools are reflecting kind of these weird ad hoc decisions of like, yeah, it'll be fine to just like, you know, re-serialize this on the fly. Like that's like a band-aid solution for this and that's fine. And like, right. there's very few people who are kind of like zooming out and saying like, no, this is like a really important function and we're going to optimize for it. Um, yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's just an exciting, I think that's like the most exciting aspect of the project to me. Yeah, no, I, I it's, it's funny you say that because I actually, I, I, <laughs> it's great. I'm not sure I would, I, I don't mean this as a criticism because like, I, I honestly, I'm not sure that I would find myself in that situation very often. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so I, I was a little kind of like, I, I was a little conflicted about, you know, the whole thing because like I, I in principle, like. I'm not sure I necessarily need it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, um, well, first of all, I don't really do a lot of data analysis. I do some data analysis still, but, um, but uh, you know, I, I find that my universe is a little bit more self-contained. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's it's you know I, I I don't work in a team, for example, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and the team that I do have, whether it's students or postdocs, like we all agree, we can all agree on something, yeah. kind of internally, and. Um, so it's, I, I don't necessarily find myself in that use case. Um, and um, so, but ne never, but I do appreciate it nevertheless, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I'll say is, um, you mentioned the speed was not like the primary interest for you. Yeah, for again, um, for, for me, I don't think, I'm not speaking for, you know, the- yeah. Well, I think a lot of the speed comes from the binary uh, kind of aspect oh, of yeah. it. Oh yeah, I think like um, all terms of it. The format. Yeah. yeah, and I think, because like, you know, another serialization format that is common, you know, on the web is JSON, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think um, that's a common way to transfer data, whether it's data frames or whatever. Yeah. Um, back and forth, but it's, you know, it's very verbose. It's very, you know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's not binary. And so 
I think it's, um, anyway, it's also maybe a little bit more general. So I think, uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is that optimization, even though it may not be the primary goal is, you know, it's still important. Have you ever tried converting JSON into a data frame? Uh, yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's, it's, it's ugly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's just, I mean, I know again, it's like, that's where it's like, I really think there's almost like Stockholm syndrome for people where it's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like I've like been able to convert JSON once, therefore it's fine. You know, it's like, no, right, no, yeah. like it's, <laughs> and same with the CSV. It's like, you know, again, like there's a lot of people, not even a lot, like a small number of people who put a ton of work into this problem. Um, of like parsing CSVs and it's like that's awesome and it definitely is a good solution given the constraints of CSVs but like you know it would be better to like when your collaborator gives you data that like you know the types aren't inferred they're explicitly like defined by the person generating the data you know like right like that it's like I think people haven't yet been able to like imagine how much better <laughs> oh no and i think there's a lot of there are a lot of problems that arise just from the fact that like you know the csv file doesn't store the you know the types of the columns right that i think that's a source of yeah it's a, a lot of misunderstanding it's a huge it's a huge problem um yeah and then the other thing i was thinking actually in your use case like one use case i could see is like if you're doing kind of like open science like you know making sure that your analyses are reproducible and like on github or otherwise available you know like save like a you know dot r data file as well as like a dot feather file you know like like the idea that you would want to create data that's gonna be usable by people like you might not even see them using it but you want it to be available um and like easily like as as easy to get to like a reproducible you know extension of your work like that would be one way to speed that up considerably that's a, that's, a, that's a great point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had not thought of that. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> the, fact of the, yeah. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that, like, I do often make, like, an R data file available, right? Yeah. Just exactly. because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's compressed and then you don't lose the metadata. But the fact of the matter, but the truth is, like, you know, that only R people can, only people using R, I should say, mm -hmm. um, you know, can load that in. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, you know, I guess the only caveat is that you probably, we'll probably have to wait for, like, the format to kind of settle down a little bit maybe yeah it's, before you start doing that they made but. the i mean they made the disclaimer it's not like a long-term you know it's not it's not yet intended for long-term storage because again like i think the idea there is like you know if you want to incorporate like go or something you might have to like slightly modify in order to make sure that you know the constraints of other languages might make some tweaking happen but yeah um so like right now the real use case they're thinking of is like kind of like a one a one-off project where like long-term storage isn't the issue. It's more just like passing quickly to yeah. a different session. But again, I don't, I, it's funny because multiple people kind of said this on Twitter when I was like tweeting about this originally, like, Oh, like, you know, Excel's better. And I'm like, no one's forcing you to only save your data in one format. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> this isn't like, you know, this, like, it's true. If you want to make sure your data is like, you know, available in like three years, then, like saving in CSV is probably a good safeguard for that. But yeah, yeah. I think it's worth it. If you're the type of person who like likes playing with something like the brand new thing, I think it's obviously a promising project with like two heavy hitters, like working on it. And then like, it, it can be fun to work with. And like, you know, thinking through like, like beta testing, like dog fooding, like what's this going to look like? You know, like yeah. what, what are some problems I run into? Like feel free to file issues, et cetera. So right. yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, 
but I'm still I'm still super excited. I'm I'm excited that people are thinking about like us. <laughs> people <laughs> like people are thinking about the analysts. Like and again, specific, this is specifically like really targeting analysis rather than like I feel like so many big data tooling are so focused on like production recommend recommendation systems or like like other things that are part of data science but kind of aren't the part that I've honed in on anyway. Right. Um, and so, and again, I really think like the fact that we still have to like debate about like SQL, whether or not SQL is like a great language is just a sign of like, no SQL, this like language from what the seventies <laughs> like hasn't like really changed. Like, like it, it's just, there's so little, I feel like innovation in this field is only really recent and it's like an exciting time to be in it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's well said. <laughs> yeah, I, I do appreciate that people are thinking about me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and um, and it's something that I could you know use yeah. uh, going forward. I think um, one of the things I, I just a couple of notes that I picked up as I was looking through some of the code. Um, so they use I think somewhere they use the flat buffers um, library, which yeah. is a Google product. Yeah, and uh, which is interesting because it was originally developed for games. Really, like phone games. Um, wow. And it's a really efficient kind of array implementation. And it, it kind of just made me think that like, it's interesting to think about like, you know, big data, you can think of big data as like really lots and lots of data on like big systems, mm -hmm. or you can think of it as like, you know, normal amounts of data on a really, really small system. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and so that's, that it seems like that's kind of the, the environment that the you know, flat buffers was kind of designed for, like you're on this really small system, like a phone and you might have like a normal amount of data, but like, you still don't want to like be loading it all, you know, all at once and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, so I think uh, one of the cool potential, I think implementations that, that could be built on top of feather, uh, is the idea of like having data frames that you don't load in entirely into memory. Yeah. Right. You kind of, you can load them in windows or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there are other packages in R that kind of do that. Um, so, but not using this implementation. So, um, so I think that's one possible, like interesting extension of this format. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think I'm sure there's other things that like people have thought of, but um, mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that gave me a little chuckle, actually, as I was <laughs> reading through the documentation and I didn't put this in my blog post, but so I was looking through like the different, you know, data types that they have you know, implemented. Uh -huh. And I noticed that they had, they had, you know, they had character and then they have factors, right? Yeah. I thought, that kind of caught my eye. I'm like, wait, uh, why do they distinguish between characters and factors, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's because, you know, they're stored differently. So fact, the characters are kind of for like arbitrary length strings uh, that, you know, you know, that are in a, in a column, whatever. Yeah. So I think of like, a, like an ID variable or something. Mm -hmm. And then factors are like, you know, factors are like categorical variables, but factors are stored as integers with their labels mm -hmm. and characters are just stored as, you know, they're like characters. So, um, so it turns out that you know, if you code something as a character in a data frame and you store it in feather, it's like, I think it's like twice as big. Yeah. Um, the file is, uh, and then if you store it as a, as a factor, roughly speaking, it's you know it's it's much smaller in terms of the. So if you care about the storage size, it does make a difference. Yeah. Um, anyway, it just brought me back to the whole strings as, yeah. <laughs> strings as factors thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you know I will say that the like I I jumped on the string as factors equals false bandwagon for sure without totally understanding it <laughs> like uh string of factors equals false means like that's like the, i guess that's like the default for loading csvs like oh well in the in the read.csv function in r um the default is strings as factors equals true yeah that's right that's right, right. so anything that's a character column 
will be loaded, it assumes that that's a factor variable. Yeah. But in, for example, like in some of the other functions that have been written to kind of also read CSV files and other packages, often that option is set to false. Yeah, that's right. I think that was like Matt Dowell and, and uh, F. Reed was like. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. there are people who apparently hate that option. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. So much that there were like badges at the last JSM. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yes. No, I mean, and I get it because, man, like the first time you're using R and you have factors like it's it's like the hardest problem like it's so confusing when you're a beginner running into it and it makes no sense and you know maybe maybe like what could eventually happen is people getting slightly more training on this early on but then like because even like uh like tibble diffs (laughs) like hadley's like data frame like his like the yeah data frame um, yeah. it prints the, the column type in the, in like, in the the printout. Type. yeah. And so yeah. it's like a little more visible. I think like, it's possible that we could like bring everyone to the point where they actually understand like these things well enough that it's not so confusing the first time you see it. And then, yeah, you're right. Like the advantage of the like fact, like storing more things as factors could be like reaped. You see what I mean? Yeah, I think um, I think, and I I hundred percent agree with you. Actually, I just I I can hear the voices, <laughs> I can hear the voices of the strings as factors equals false people like yelling in my ear. Right now. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, I think I think they're so passionate about it because it's a like you know like I think I think it was Jenny Bryan who made those those uh those the tags, tags. Yeah. yeah, and like and right. I get it because she's teaching people for the first time and it's just so confusing. It's- it's horrible. It's so yeah, it's horrible. horrible. And it's the yeah. and if you're working with beginners and like smaller, medium sized data, like it you know, those benefits don't matter. So like I yeah. yeah, I totally get that. And I think it was the right. I think it's like like I'm on board with that. But I also I think <laughs> everyone would be on board, you know, with zooming out and being like, but it would be better if like everyone understood the implications of each decision. Like yeah. 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 But that's I but think, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing with this community is that I think that we get so bogged down in like specifics like that that we don't take a second to zoom. Like that's why everyone's like, well, CSVs are fine because like they've zoomed in so much to be like, well, I got it working and it works really well most of the time and it's better than these other things. Instead of zooming out and saying like, oh, but like there are possibilities you haven't even thought of that would be a better solution to your problem. Like, you see what I mean? Yeah. If you could just like step back for one second. Yeah. Like- exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's because that that requires like that, that that's kind of more overhead in the in, you know, in the beginning, right? Like someone has to work on that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always hard to say tell someone that you know it'll save you time down the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more work, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's true that it's... maybe some people will never need to like someone taking an intro class might never need to know like like they might not ever be dealing with like industry level data because really big data it's like. Unless you're like an astrophysicist <laughs> or I guess genomics, but even then those are genomics data is that very often kind of like medium data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So ultimately, I mean, the whole thing with, with feather, uh, it could be solved based if they have some, like if the character type, you know, were, were basically hashed and then they could, it would, it would, it would solve that problem. I think the storage problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that it's a problem actually, just the difference in the storage between factors and characters. I see what you're I mean. saying. Yeah. So it's anyway, but, uh, Wait, would that anyway, even be I, possible? It, I don't even. 
I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Hadley has like lots of opinions. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it just, I, I didn't, it, it wasn't a big deal to me. I just, I just chuckled when I saw it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm, I'm really excited about kind of where it's going to go and, and what people will do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, even though, even though I may not use it right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I think, um, I think that's it for this episode. Um, do you have any uh, free advertising you wanted to share? Well, uh, <laughs> I am speaking at a conference tomorrow that is like super oh. fun. Rstats.nyc. Uh, oh yeah. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah. Like last year. So I think, I think last year might've been the first year. I'm not sure, but, uh, it's put on by Jared Lander, uh, of Lander analytics, uh, which is, uh, like a consulting firm in in New York, and he runs like the New York Open Statistical Meetup. Like it's it was I think it was the R Meetup, and then actually, and then he got Wes McKinney involved, so then it had to become like the Open Statistical Language <laughs> Meetup. Okay. <laughs> like uh, but more inclusive. Yeah, and so um, so anyway, but it's like this really fun con. Last year was super fun. Um, that's where I gave that talk on um like like where I, where I dropped mansplainer. <laughs> oh, yes. And so yes. it's, it's, it's just like a little conference. Like, little is not the right word, but it's like, you know, like a New York data science conference. Uh, yeah. And I see you're a featured speaker. I am. Yeah. I was last year too. <laughs> you're up there. You're up there with Andrew Gillen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like right next to Andy Gillen. I remember last year when I saw that, I was just like, Oh my God. I was like terrified. Uh, but then how much, how much would I have to pay you to get you to say something about P value? <laughs> like in, <laughs> in the talk? Yeah. I, in your talk. I did last year. I like literally printed P values up on the screen, but he wasn't there. Oh, though, no, right? yeah. was he? he didn't. He was yeah. I, I want him to be like in the audience. Yeah. I doubt he will be in the audience when I'm talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but yeah, no, that's no, a great lineup. It's it a is great a great lineup. lineup. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it really speaks to Jared's like, you know, he's a he's like a charming and persuasive conference organizer. <laughs> like, I think I basically got an email that was like, send me your abstract, like before I even knew. <laughs> 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 but, well, that's how you get things done, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was yeah. it's it's super fun. And actually I, I was charmed to see that um Nausicaa distribution was one of the sponsors. Uh and she's the Etsy seller that makes like the distribution plushies. Uh, oh, like the normal distribution. Yeah, thing. yeah. So, wow. Okay. I, according so to a tweet from them, there might be like you know, quote unquote, goodies from her. So, I am super excited about that. Uh, they're gonna be like they're gonna be handing out stuff. Yeah. Or what do you, yeah. We should definitely add a link to her shop because it's the best. I'm, I've probably talked about it before, but it's a. Uh, I don't think we, no, I don't think we have talked. Oh about yeah, that. she's a Sensi seller who makes all these stat things and like like. My favorite that I've bought from her is a gosset tee shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like no one gets that joke. I'm always like, it's a tee shirt instead of a tee test. Anyway, (laughs) so I have that. And then there's um, like, she has these like statistical propaganda posters that are really cool. Um, So I bought those and put those up around Etsy, like around our our pod. (laughs) uh so yeah anyway she has great like nerdy stuff so you should definitely check her out awesome yeah i'll put a link to that and uh, i guess this conference is uh tomorrow yeah. uh, which is <laughs> april 8th so i better edit this podcast really quickly. <laughs> 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 um 
Uh, anyway, I had one thing that was totally. I, I feel now. I feel like I feel like an idiot because mine is not statistical. At all. Oh no, that's okay. Uh, that's what we're supposed yeah. to. I'm the one who broke the rules. Yeah. That made me feel... <laughs> Yeah, so from, we'll go from the sublime to the earthly here. Um, and uh, my thing was just, I, I, there's a great YouTube channel that I love. Um, it's by this guy, Tony Joe. Mm -hmm. And he is a, I think he's like a film editor. And so, um, and I'm like, so I'm a pretty big film nerd. Mm. Um, and uh, he has all these awesome videos of kind of like on the different aspects of like editing and making movies. Cool. Um, and they're really like, they're really well done. They're really educational. And, um, and I'm like obsessed. I've like uh, watched like every single one. <laughs> and, um, and uh, I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, so I'll post the link. His name is Tony Joe. And that's and the, and the, the channel is called Every Frame of Painting. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, it's a really great uh, anyway, series of videos. Wait, so he's so, talking uh, about like the not like about like, not about the stories, but about literally like composing frames and but he's talking about kind of like the craft of filmmaking. So mm -hmm. and some of it's a little bit I guess you might call it technical, mm -hmm. um, but some of it's like, you know, how to do, um, for example, he has a whole episode on Edgar Wright, mm -hmm. uh, who did like the, you know, he did the, like Shaun of the Dead and, uh, oh. and, uh, and it's like, it's like about how to do, like, what's, what's that movie that you made me watch? <laughs> <laughs> I said Shaun of the Dead. Not, no, the other one, the, um, Scott Pilgrim. Scott oh Pilgrim. my gosh. Yes. Yeah, God, I love that. Uh, he did that. Yeah. yeah, so he has an open hell episode about like kind of the style of humor in those kinds of movies. Yeah, um, and uh, and like and so all these kind of different little different kind of little aspects of movie making. He has like you know videos on like how different people. Well, he's a whole episode, a whole video on like Michael Bay. Yeah, and like how Michael Bay does these, he does all of his action movies the same way. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that sounds yeah, great. Like, yeah, I always feel yeah. like I feel that way when I go to art museums. Like it's so much better if you have someone kind of explaining the technical. Like, oh, this artist is using this method and like, you know, you can notice that like these aspects of the painting are like reflective right. of this method. And so it's like, it seems like it's that for films. It's exactly that. Yeah. It's exactly that. Yeah. Cool. In fact, yeah, maybe that's probably why it's called every frame of painting. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, 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 I really enjoy it. And um, so I recommend it. Cool. It's a good way to waste time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so I think that's that's episode thirteen. Um, if you want to send us feedback or send us a comment, uh, you can email us at nssdeviations at gmail dot com. Uh, and um, also, if you want to support us directly, you can go to our Patreon page, uh, which is at patreon dot com slash nssdeviations. Um, and um, and that's it. We'll see you soon.